Exterior, Underworld Dirt Road, early morning. Think bang against the earth. A heartbeat thumps loudly. Welcome to 10 Pages, the podcast that helps emerging screenwriters workshop their scripts. We're your hosts, Cam Clark and Justin P. Bechtold. Thanks, Cam. Our guest writer today is Jenny Besidenhout. Hi, Jenny. Hi. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Jenny's writing an art house feature film drama called She Now Romeo. Let's jump into the first 10 pages. Exterior, underworld, dirt road, early morning. Feet bang against the earth. A heartbeat thumps loudly. An old used up hearing aid is nested behind an ear. It flashes green, red, blue. Electric red hair flaps wildly as Juliet 30 runs. Exhausted, her breath spits out against the freezing cold air. She stops, turning, searching to get her bearings. The sound of the ocean slams into her hearing aid ear. Loud, she flinches. Her hearing device is taped to her skull. Its alarm sounds, beep, 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 beep. Rainbow of colors flashing on the hearing device. Battery critical. Juliet, disappointed, turns it off. Sound sucks out of her left ear. It sends Juliet crashing down, dizziness spins. Sound imbalanced, loud ringing, sharp and distracting. The world turns, battle of sound and chaos. Juliet, pushing her palms into the side of her temples, attempts to regain herself. She begins to run again. Alone, her body travels, fighting against the vastness of the empty nature. In the distance, the city rests from the action-packed night, a golden fog drifting in the distance. Juliet passes an older woman, Angela, 80s, old, wrinkled, and bent over like a mountain. Her fingers dangle to grasp Juliet. Angela's eyes, bewitched, follow Juliet, her steps zombie-like, hunger that makes her mouth drool. The ocean intensifies, her heart rhythmically beating, her breath hollow inside of her. Juliet, sprinting, sees the pig, 40s, a heavily obese woman staring at her like a sniper about to eliminate its target. Juliet can't stop fast enough. She closes her eyes and falls through the pig, her body scraping against the dirt like cheese against a metal grater. Her flesh, scratched open, bleeds into the dirt. She looks up to see Derek, 30s, dark skins and crushing eyes standing in the distance. He turns, he smiles towards her, her eyes light up, her begging hands reaching towards him. He reaches to help her. Juliet looks back, her mother still stalking towards her, struggling. The pig looks into her soul. Juliet screams. She stands up, alone. Whoosh, the sound of the ocean, her company. Exterior, underworld, contaminated damn day. Juliet, scratched up, stumbles her way through the wasteland, She studies her palm, a crudely drawn map spread up towards her elbow. Signs with strange symbols appear as she travels deeper into the isolated area. Juliet ignores them, creeping closer and closer to the marked area on her crudely drawn map. The smell catches her off guard and she covers her nose, breathing through her worn out clothing. She comes to a halt. A flimsy wide fence separates her from the pink waters. A final warning spread in front of her, electric green tape. She steps over it. A wooden sign with a golden man painted like a stick figure stares her in the eyes. Juliet sees a plastic bottle sticking out of sand, a small bit of gold wrapper wrapped around it. She rips her shirt, wraps it around her hand and cautiously reaches through the fence to grab it. Wire pressing hard against her face, her fingers strain to grab it. The wind tears it free. It slams up against the fence, almost touching her face on the other side of the wire mesh fence. Juliet jumps back in fear, the golden strip caught in the wire attempting to reach her. Muffled sound. She stares at the golden strip, silently flapping. She moves closer. 
turning her hearing ear towards it, eyes closed. She hears the flap, flap, flapping. She retrieves it, wraps it. Interior Juliet's apartment day. Juliet stables the golden strip to her wall, spread around it a printed photograph of her as a young girl with an older woman. They look happy, a photo of her and Derek, younger, as they sit playfully next to each other. Juliet's smitten with him. Kids play outside, muffled. Sound of a basketball hitting the pavement as Juliet turns with her ear towards the window. Thump, thump, ball hits the net. Amongst the photographs are a notice of payment due with a ridiculous sum of $10,000. The header reads, Exodus Retirement Village. Juliet collapses on a makeshift bed in the corner. The apartment is as tiny as a shoebox. Night is approaching. Juliet lights some candles. She falls back into the hard surface of the bed and watches the flames dance on the wall. She feels under her pillow, pulls out an almost empty can of zapped. It's gone in a gulp. Gulp, gulp, gulp. Juliet. Stop, Juliet, stop. Crunch. Metal crushes under her grip. The words escape as she searches under her blankets to pull out a bottle of cough syrup. She opens it, new. She smiles at the sound of the plastic crunching as it opens. She sculls it. She turns on her hearing device. The sound of the outside world creeps in. The busy neighbourhood becomes alive with sounds of cheers and chatter. Battery critical. The sound of live music spills into her room. She closes her eyes. Turning off. The sound disappears. Only the swooshing of the ocean remains. Her ears buzz and ring. Exterior underworld steel mill, scrapyard afternoon. Sun burns down, heat sizzling on the concrete pavement. Metal clangs, machines clunk like a tumble dryer. Juliet's hearing device buzzes, sweat drips. She turns it off. Juliet watches as the metal around her shakes in silence. She turns to find the pig stomping through the building. Her fingers turn on her hearing device. Sound slams hard into her eardrums. Bzzz, clang, 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 clang. Juliet groans in pain. She's quick and knows her way around. She moves herself around like a chess piece to get closer to the pig. The metal shakes with each step the pig takes. She's demolishing a large pie oozing gravy. With one final bite, the whole pie enters her mouth and seeps out over her smudged lipstick. They both watch as gravy slowly escapes and falls to the floor. The pig looks down into unseen territory. The gravy plants itself in between her freshly manicured toes. The pig attempts with great effort to see the gravy but has no luck. Juliet reads the pig's lips. Get hot for me. Eye to eye they stand, Juliet's body trembling with fear. She watches the gooey words escape the pig. Sorry? The pig's sniper eyes travel to the small Juliet in front of her. She watches her with disgust, almost as if to blame her for the loss of gravy. Hey. No words form. The pig points to her toes, attempting to lift her foot. Juliet squats down, horrified. Carefully, she scoops up the gravy onto her finger. The pig grasps Juliet's bony finger and pushes it into her mouth. Mmm, tasty. Juliet. Could you spare me some overtime? You ruined my gravy. Are you trying to steal from me? No, I I would never. My mother... Oh, you're trying to trick me. Pig chewing her heavy breath, the sound of her mouth moving. Juliet stands frozen like a bug about to be squashed. Is it money, my dear? Juliet catches the eye of a young girl staring at her. Laney, 13, slumped shoulders, almost invisible, risks herself by shaking her head towards Juliet. Look at me, girl. The pig's hawkish eyes sprint towards Laney. Laney runs and the distraction allows Juliet to escape. 
All right, terrific stuff. Okay, Jenny, briefly, can you give us a little background about yourself and the project? I come from an acting background and I have always kind of written, but always in private. And then my husband and I started making films more and I wanted to write characters that I could see myself playing and that I also wanted to see out there in the world. So I started at RMIT and I'm studying part-time. And so this film, I think the reason I went to RMIT is because ideas come to me in like images and questions and moments. And this film had been with me for a very long time and I didn't know how to get it out of me. And so the course really helped me write this. So we've just read the, the first 10 pages or six or so. So yeah, we're very, very keen to know, you know how does the, the story unfold? What is the rest of the story? So in the near future, the privileged few in the overworld cheat death by changing bodies like costumes. Um, and in the underworld, almost all live and die in the body that they're born into. Now, the people in the underworld kind of cope with this by celebrating a one-life policy where they're very proud and they stick to only having one life. So in this filthy, desolate underworld, Juliet needs more money to pay for her mother's retirement home fees and her vigorous drinking habits. She scavenges through the garbage dump from the overworld in the contaminated dams. In the overworld, which I think after the section we read, we go, we jump into the overworld. We meet Roman. That actually, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but is that like actually on the surface and they're living underground? How does that so work? The way, because I'm trying to write for low budget because I really want to make this. Um, the overworld is basically just a term, but it's really high buildings. Um, and okay. it's people kind of living in high rise, uh, like away from the filth that they kind of dump into the world. If there are, like, and that's something I think I'm really open to exploring is cheap ways to create this divide. But in the overworld, Romeo is about to be shifted into his 12th body. and But all he wants to do is die. His sister Mars purchases a new body for him and so he's forcefully put into it. Now this body ends up being Derek's body, who Juliet is madly in love with and their childhood friends. And his dad is in the retirement home as well. So he, in exchange for his body, gets his father's life taken care of. But Juliet does not know this and she never gets to confess or really get her true want, which is to be courageous enough to connect with love which is Derek. So after visiting her mother, Juliet often walks with Derek, whose father is also in the home, and she's got feelings for him, but not enough courage to express it. Unbeknownst to Juliet, Derek has sold his body to the overworld, and Romeo shifted into Derek's body. That mm. night, Romeo dreams of Juliet, a woman he's never seen before. On a scavenging trip, Juliet accidentally ingests some of the gold paint from the garbage, the bottles they connect, and she starts getting sick and her skin starts turning to gold. So she's basically been poisoned and she's dying and it acts like a cancer. Um, during her visit, Juliet's mother, Angela, reveals that the body she's living in is actually her second, which is going against everything that Juliet believes because she was told to only have one life and she was willing to accept the fact that she's dying. But after this betrayal of her mother, it really shifts everything for her. So Julia's repulsed by this and she leaves. Later she finds Angela, her mother, has died and her corpse has just been left in the street. And the tragic outcome of the unpaid fees. 
So sick, grief striking and roaring drunk, Juliet staggers down the street and she sees a fly announcing that there's a royal art exhibition and they're advertising for bodies to be exhibited from the underworld. On the flyer is Romeo, the host of the exhibition and his new body, which is Derek. So she basically finds out that Derek's done this. Juliet enters a recording booth and she drunkenly and angrily submits a video of herself, finally declaring her love to Derek. Mars, Romeo and their father, Fabius, watch these videos. And Romeo chooses Juliet, recognizing her from his dreams and kind of like an obsessed boy. And the way I explore this in the script is I love surreal moments. So he's sitting there and Juliet's right there with him and it becomes this kind of out of body experience. While fantastic, the cruel artwork are auctioned off around Juliet and the exhibition. Romeo spares her by begging Fabius to stop the auction. Fabius agrees on the condition that Romeo finally marries. Over several weeks at Romeo's apartment, Juliet gets sicker and the two grow closer. As Juliet nears death, Romeo asks her to marry him, but she needs another body and Fabius won't help him. And finally, Romeo realizes his only choice is for them to swap bodies. And they escape the overworld lab and plunge into the contaminated dam of the underworld. Ordered by her father to kill Juliet, Mars comes through the underworld to find the lovers. Finding them on a hilltop near the dam, Mars kills Romeo, who is Juliet. So Fabius has discovered the swap, but arrives moments too late to stop Mars, which means Juliet in Romeo's body grabs Mars's knife and plunges it into her chest. So kind of playing with the Shakespeare tragedy of yeah. Juliet. And this yeah, is, you know, very clever. I just really love the tragedy and I love the fact that you're telling the audience this is a tragedy and this is how it's going to end. And throughout, hopefully throughout the film, the audience is in denial of that. And that, that kind of hope that Juliet has, they have as well. Yeah, it's a really, really intriguing idea. Yeah. yeah, what's kind of good about that idea is it like it takes a well-known story like the Romeo and Juliet, but, you know, doing something fresh with it, something new with it. Yeah, I hope so. I don't play too much on a lot of what happens. I think just that main tragic death and also the fact that the two worlds are kind of against them. But I love an on, like an underdog story where not that she rises, but <laughs> um, I like that. We all love under the underdog stories. Yeah, <laughs> especially in Australia. I don't know why. You, you reference Romeo and Juliet, but it's not actually the Romeo and Juliet story. Mm -hmm. um, I'm wondering if it might be slightly confusing for the audience. I might be completely wrong about this. Slightly confusing to call them Romeo and Juliet um, because it, it's maybe too literal. I'm wondering if, like, if you switched it to maybe Jules and Roman or something. So oh, the reference yeah. is there, but it's not saying this is Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, revisited. So, it's just ideas from Romeo and Juliet sort of told in a different way. Uh, that's not an important thing, but that, that was just something that occurred to me. That's a really good point and that I haven't really thought of. I, I think it's definitely something that I should explore and see potentially even getting a couple different people to read the script and seeing what they prefer or if it was less confusing. You're the first person to bring that up. Before we talk about the story more broadly, I wouldn't mind just briefly talking about the pages that we did read. I want to talk about the tone and the language that you're using because I love that opening. I found it very evocative and visual and it really grabs the reader and it doesn't let you go. 
However, um, I did also find it rather confusing. Yeah. I wasn't sure what was real. I wasn't sure if I was if something was a dream. There was a lot of stuff that was going on, which further down the track, once you read the script, I'm sure will make much more sense. But I guess I had a little bit of a concern that you may lose your reader or your viewer before they've had a chance to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Because, yeah, I, I couldn't quite work it out. And I was wondering if it might be useful to have some clever exposition put in there somewhere just to ground the audience and the reader so that they're, they're with you and not just trying to figure you out. I mean, that's, that, that was my take. Justin, did you? How did you feel? I had a similar experience. I kept getting pulled out of the read only because firstly, there was kind of some weird weirdness happening with the formatting. So there was some text that was justified right, and which is usually in like the transition area of the script. So I wasn't sure if these were meant to be transition notes or whether it was part of the script. So it would just keep sort of bringing me out of the read. Like I imagine that would look really great, like if you're reading a novel, but for mm -hmm. script purposes, it was a little bit unclear. Yeah, a lot of those images, I thought they were really striking, but yeah, mm -hmm. same with Cameron. I wasn't sure whether this was a, was it a dream sequence? Because there seemed to be characters that just sort of appeared and disappeared without any explanation. And was the, the pig real? And then there was a mention of Angela, who we now know is the mother, but in your script, you didn't make any reference to Angela being her mother, but then there was a little bit later on, you said her mother was chasing her, still stalking her down the street. And I was like, who's, who's the mother? Is Angela the mother? I wasn't sure. So it was just a lot of stuff that was sort of happening that I wasn't really clear in as to what was happening in the world. Like what, what, what was the world and who, she, who was she in that world wasn't very clear for me. It all sort of makes sense hearing the whole story but just going on those first 10 pages yeah like I would have I had to I had to go back and read it a few times because I just had to keep getting pulled out of it so, was, so I could make sort of some sense of it that said yeah, I mean and, and, it did make me want to read the whole script but purposes of our podcast we're only going on the first 10 pages so I want to reiterate I found it beautifully written and very very evocative and I certainly wouldn't want you to lose the the poetry of the way that you write it's just about clarity what do you think jenny is how do you feel um, about this that? it all makes sense to me i think i expect a lot of my audience and this first scene came i think it's it actually didn't come in until the latest draft so it's very new and i guess a part of it is for me it's like this i want the audience to feel as confused um, as she feels because that's how she moves through the whole world but because there's so much that happens, we don't really get that interior, like internal experience the whole way through. And also, I think in the latest draft, what I was exploring was sound and how sound becomes a character. And so I looked at the structure that A Quiet Place takes, which is the horror film, and they play with structure on the page. And so that's something I was experimenting with because I have one-sided deafness. So for me, the way I experience the world can, it can be quite confusing at times. And so we want to explore this from a filmmaking point of view when it's made. How do you broadcast it or showcase it where sound is only coming through on one side? So when the mm. audience is watching it and experiencing it, they're experiencing that too. 
So that's kind of what I was exploring on the page. But I, I do understand if you're only taking a section of the script and also that you're coming into this world that it is quite confusing. I think you need to remember that in order to, for an audience to perceive your story as you want them, first of all, the film needs to be made. Mm-hmm. So you need to make sure that you write a script which is going to be engaging enough for a producer and others to not abandon it because they get frustrated and I don't understand what's going on. I'm up to page 10 and I still don't know what this story is and then they move on and they've blown it, you know, because they've just missed out on a beautiful, beautiful script and you've missed out on getting your script turned into a film as well. So I think presenting the confusion for that character is absolutely valid, absolutely valid for about three pages. Yeah. And then you need to, you know, make sure that the reader understands okay, this is the story that we're, we're engaging with. So with that first sequence, because it's only, I don't even think it's a full page, does it continue, do you still feel confused after it? At 10 pages, I still didn't know what the story really was. So I think for a script, I think you need to understand that a script is not, it's, it's more than a work of art. It's a document which is supposed to engage potential partners producers and others they get inundated with scripts they have stacks of them and when they pick up a script they're looking for a reason to discard it so they can move on to the next one um so don't give them a reason hook them present them with that confusion because it's really really important and then hook them and keep them you know reading that would be my recommendation i know sometimes you know that can be painful you know as an artist because you want to spread your wings but you also need to be mindful that, you know, there are these other purposes for the script. I I guess the reason I didn't really think about exterior, like external producers and production houses Mm. is because we're making it ourselves. So it's going to be ultra low. It's going to be under 20. My husband wants to make it for under 80. So I guess like for me, I've already got a director attached and a lot of actors, but I think that it's still a valid thing because what you're saying isn't necessarily my hurdle might not be in the getting it made, but it will be in the getting it distributed then. Right. Not engage that audience within the first 10 minutes because that's when I stop watching a film as well is when it's like, where's this going? I guess also for me, just uh, from a, just from a writing point of view, there was a lot of moments where you were changing tenses. If you're writing something in present tense, like when you say things like Juliet's running, you know, it sounds like you're sort of reporting on it from a distance. So it doesn't feel like you're a part of the movie. But when you say like Juliet runs, it's like you feel like you're right there with her and it feels much more immediate. And there was a lot of changing and stuff from between tenses, which was sort of a little bit kind of felt like it was like a push, pull, push, pull, push, pull kind of feel for me. Give you an example. Like you kind of want the the reader to experience them as those things as they're happening so there's a part in the script where you say uh, her world turns a battle of sound and chaos Juliet pushing her palms into the sides of her temples to regain herself she begins to run again alone her body travels fighting against the vastness of the empty nature there's a lot of big print that doesn't need to be there also which you won't actually see on the screen but I thought that could easily be condensed and felt much more immediate if it was just like her world turns, a battle of sound and chaos. She pushes her palms into her temples and runs, hounded by the sounds in her head. That's much more quicker, much more immediate, and it's all in the same tense, which puts you right there with it. And I feel like it would just help the script 
flow a lot more. If you just look at simply look at replacing all your INGs just with uh, you know an, an S, for instance. But for me, also this so uh, this scene to me, it felt like it was much later in the story, and I I kept waiting for it for us to maybe go back in time. Like it felt like this was this was a scene that happens later in the story, and I was waiting for as I was reading it to be like three days earlier or something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Just because it seemed like we were right in the middle of something that was going on, something that was happening that we weren't privy to. And I was hoping that that was going to be sort of explained, but it just seemed that the script was just going to keep carrying on from that point. So yeah. I was a bit sort of confused about that and a bit disappointed because yeah. I was like, Oh, I really want to know what's happening, but I wasn't. Yeah, how did you get there? Totally. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Point. And I think that's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing that this scene that I added quite later in development, it's causing a lot of confusion because initially it started way later. It started at work, her meeting the pig, kind of like an introduction of this very fearful character with this really dominant world. And then it kind of continued on from there. But it just, I think it lacked character development at that stage then because we didn't really know who the character was. And because she was so isolated most of the time, it felt like we needed to start in that isolation with her but yeah i don't know maybe it's worth exploring going back the other way if you're starting like a sci-fi story you sort of need to set up the world really quickly so that the audience gets a really quick impression of where we are what's the world what's the tone all that kind of stuff so at the very start of this we don't even know that there's two different worlds happening and hearing what you said about the the rest of this the script and the story I'm wondering could this story actually start in the overworld with Romeo like putting on one of the suits and it's like you know deteriorated or something and like we see the moment where he realizes he needs to get a new one so the suit is actually a body like his skin so yeah that's what I mean so we're starting we're starting off with him putting on the body and then whatever's wrong with it you know which causes them to have to get a new one you know, maybe we see that moment. That's our starting moment of this story. And that all happens in that overworld place. And then we cut to the underworld and we meet Juliet for the first time. You want to sort of create a hero moment for your main character. I really like the scene with Lainey too. And I, I kind of felt I wanted to see a relationship between Juliet and Lainey, kind of like whether she's like a, a big sister figure to her or a mother figure to her, whatever it is, like some, I want to see Juliet sort of be protective of her. Maybe there's an opportunity to show Juliet's inventiveness, Mm. I guess you would call it, about how does she navigate herself in her world with her hearing difficulties? What ingenious ways does she come up with to deal with her deafness i wondered if because the world is such a poor world i wanted i also want to know how poor it was like if are they so poor that would she even be able to like afford like a hearing aid like would it be worth considering having juliet like deaf and have this movie with her being completely deaf or even partially deaf but maybe the hearing aid is like a golden carrot that gives her something to strive towards and it could even be something that romeo could or whoever is on the overworld could offer her as to sort of manipulate her, this idea that one day she might be able to hear again if she jumps through the hoops that they want her to jump through. And I think it's probably worth talking about the hearing aid because I, I misread that completely. I thought the hearing aid was part of the future, like 
people have these devices behind their ears or something, you know. Yeah, and, but no, it's just a hearing aid. Right, <laughs> so. it's just a hearing aid and it's a really flimsy, pathetic yeah. one. And so maybe that's, maybe that's worth mentioning somewhere. Yeah. I do actually like the idea of seeing Romeo in that old body, not getting in the old, but being in the old body and it's old and it's decrepit. And it's yeah. time for a new one and it's failing. I'm not sure if we got that far, but like the way he is introduced is you just see this like old feet kind of walking through. Yeah, really I like that. Place. And he's completely naked and old. And yeah, um, so it's like this contrast of he just like, and he, he so desperately wants to die, which is why yeah. later on in the piece, he a bird flies into his window and he refuses for it to be removed because he wants to watch what death is and get closer to it. Lovely. It's weird and whack and there's a, I guess that's why that first scene doesn't necessarily make sense yet because a lot of the film ends up having moments like that, soul-like experiences, because I really wanted to explore what the soul feels like being pulled out of a body rather than explaining the technicality of it, which is why there's a lot of black abyss and souls meeting nakedly and there's lots of those type of things that end up happening later on in the film. It's hard to put that into the first 10 pages while setting up the world. What you need to do in the first 10 pages is to set up the world and yeah. introduce the characters and hopefully get to an inciting incident yep. and make sure that the audience understands, you know, just ground them, set up the parameters. Mm -hmm. This is the world within which these characters are going to operate and here is the problem that they need to overcome. If you can do that by the time you get to page 10, then you're doing really, really yeah, well. I can I ask... Yeah, of course. Go. Left field kind of question. Mm -hmm. Just with the bearded lady, I know that you refer to the bearded lady as a he, and I'm just wondering what's going on there. In what way? Like the, the gender? Or... Well, my assumption with a bearded lady is that she's a she, that she's a bearded lady. I'm just yeah. wondering why you're referring to the bearded lady. I, I think it's it's not like a necessarily a gender thing. I think it's like a, he is male, but his persona is she. Does that make sense? It's not so much playing with gender. I feel like he's kind of almost not a gender. But so I, it, biologically, this is a male character? He's a male character, yes. Well, he'll probably be cast as a male character. But yeah, he's kind of a genderless character. He's also actually a character that I've had a lot of a lot of trouble with in the script, trying to find what his role is. He is kind of there to help her and not help her in some way. If, if we're talking about the things that I really want to workshop, it's actually the relationship between Romeo and Juliet because that's that's the core, that's the reason this is a story. And I feel like this world is really developed around them. But then as soon as I get Romeo and Juliet together, it's almost like the energy drops. It feels like I'm kind of rushing through this relationship which is actually something that I feel like it really needs to be the core of the when you say the energy drops is that because she realizes that Derek has lost his life because that's what happens yeah it? well Derek is dead and yeah. he sees it as this guy has taken his life and she's stuck with this murderer really is there a period there where she doesn't know that Derek is dead and she believes that Derek is alive. Yeah, so she doesn't know he's dead until she finds her mother dead in the street. Right. What point is that in the script? The first act or the midpoint? or The midpoint is the art exhibition. So for me, the inciting incident was her mother dying because that changes her whole world. It's like a kind of 
it gives her permission to just kind of go, I'm going to go after this thing I've been told my whole life I can't go after, which is a proper life. A lot of it was actually quite refined. I, I, you probably would have noticed I write quite densely on a page and I try to spread that out so that it's not really thick bits of text. And that's just made the script a bit longer, even though it's only 107 pages including the title page and stuff. Look, my feeling is that if you feel that the energy drops off, that's because she discovers that Derek is dead at that point. Like the relationship switches. Oh, I see. No, because her relationship, because she... it becomes anger then. So after the art exhibition, there's a lot of tension there. And then he buys her. And then she's kind of kept in a box, like a glass box in, the, in his apartment, like an animal, which is horrible. Mm -hmm but she's sick as well. She's contaminated. And that's kind of where this weird relationship starts unfolding. And the first time they properly meet is she actually, he opens the door and she starts, she, she attempts to kill him. She hates Romeo because Romeo took Derek's life, correct? Yes. Okay. When she discovers that Derek's life has been taken, is that when you think the energy, energy drops? No, not necessarily. I think it's the transition between Juliet despising this person and falling in love with this person. I feel right. like there's this there's this weakness in the script where I feel like at what point and how can you justify falling in love? And there's this confusion for her because she's unsure if she's she's attracted to him because he looks like Derek. Yes. Or okay. Yeah. So what I, what I what I want to throw out there is mm -hmm. an idea. Juliet is the protagonist. It's her story that we've been following all along. Yeah. She gets caged. She hates this guy. What about at that point, if we moved over to Derek slash Romeo, rather, Romeo, and shifted the, the role of the protagonist to him. Oh, interesting. So we go with him looking at this person and questioning what he's done and his choices and whether he's a despicable human being and whether she could ever love a monster like him. So then we create a new goal, which is absolutely rooted in her story. Mm. Yeah, Would I that help that. with re-energising the story? I think so. I do. Because it's, it's almost like we're now putting the audience in his shoes because hopefully at that stage we are not necessarily for the relationship, but we're not for Romeo. Yeah, no, I like that. I, I, I think I'm going to explore that. Have you seen Psycho? I have. Very long time. Yeah, remember how we're going with her in Psycho. Remember, we've got her. She steals the money from the bank and she's responded and she ends up and then she gets murdered in the, mm -hmm. bar, in the shower and suddenly, like, the story's over and the murderer attempts to dispose of her body in the car and it doesn't sink and she starts to, you know, chew on his fingernail because it's not sinking. And at that moment, our sympathies shift from her to him, to him. <laughs> and he becomes the protagonist and suddenly the story is alive again. Totally, yeah. You're like, damn, go, so go, down. That's what I'm thinking. If the, kind, if the story emotionally stalls with her because she's lost the love of her life and we're floundering as an audience because we don't know what to do now, <laughs> over here and look at him and create this new goal which is about reconciling those two characters and what he's done yeah that may be no i like that i think that's definitely 
going to shift the energy in the scenes I write as well. He's also more active at that point as well. She's restricted. She's sick. She's frail. She's weak. She's in a room or apartment, but he can still move. He can still leave. So I think that would definitely change things. I mean, and if the focus were to shift to him and he were, if he were to become the protagonist, it doesn't mean that her story, that we need to abandon her because it can be, it could be a, it becomes a dual protagonist kind of thing. Yeah. We go with her and then as she starts to gain insight into who he is, then those two kind of journeys can come together and, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I like that. I think there's um there's a lot of family politics in this as well that come into play. Yeah, there's a lot of characters in this as well. I'll try and see how that changes if the protagonist becomes Romeo. It actually makes a lot more sense because we do explore his family life a bit more once we're up in the overworld. Have you seen the um the TV series You? I have. Yes. So in, in season two, he captures this guy and keeps him in the box. Mm-hmm. And then they have this relationship where over a period of time, they actually learn to trust each other and eventually lets him go. The first time he's ever let anyone go. Oh, wow. Just in terms of references and stuff, I would go back and watch some of those episodes and just explore that relationship between those two people about, you know, what changes occur between an oppressor and a victim that can occur that actually reconciles that relationship to a point that they learn to come to trust each other or in your case you know with your story to to love each other to fall in love yeah I watched I think two or three episodes that's encouraging to keep watching because I started losing interest I guess in particularly that season yeah and it's great because it actually it goes over quite a series of episodes you know right up until the the final episode of that season when he's he's actually released out into the world but then you don't know if he really has been released or did he really kill him you don't know until the very last episode. I won't reveal what happens in the last episode, but it's definitely a relationship worth exploring. Could be some benefits for your story from observing that. that. Yes, because I did the same with they explore this in the OA. I'm not sure if you've seen that. I have, yes. That to me was really interesting too, how they explored that. I think they didn't do that. The weird relationship between, yeah, like you said, oppressor and the victim. Well, that's true because, I mean, yeah, the only difference with the OA is they always wanted to escape. Yeah. <laughs> In you, I mean, he he did want to escape, but he actually come to learn to trust each yeah. other. You know, they had to do stuff for each other to, you know, to prove that trust. And so, yeah, it was, yeah it's an interesting dynamic to explore. Yeah. I'll try and think about how to do both, how to shift it to Romeo's perspective and also kind of gain that trust. Because it all happens so quickly. I feel like now that I think about it and having heard just the first 10 pages read out, it starts so slowly and then it gets really fast. And I think it might be worth me exploring a different pacing with that. It might Mm. give the end a bit more space. Can you just remind us, how does Juliet become the prisoner? How does she get captured? I actually got it wrong. My inciting incident is when she becomes sick and the first act turning point is her mother dying. So she is scavenging through these gold strips that only drop in contaminated land and nobody collects them anymore because when you do eventually you turn to gold there's a scene where she goes the inciting incident and she's scavenging she's getting desperate she needs to pay for her mother's living arrangement she's not thinking and she's counting these strips and for the first time she licks her finger and it has 
with like the residue of the gold contaminants on it. And she tries to get rid of it through, um, you know, the alcohol that she carries with her a lot of the time. But it just, she slowly becomes, slowly just becomes sicker and weaker. And she can't keep up with her job anymore. So she ends up losing her job. A big pivotal point is she has this conversation with her mother. And her mother is close to death. And her mother ends up revealing to her that she actually murdered a woman to have a longer life because her life was going to get cut short. And her only regret is that she didn't choose a stronger body. And so Juliet gets this, obviously, this crisis in identity where she's like, you're not my mother. You're just a stranger in my mother's body. Her mother begs her, please, 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 I need to live longer. Like, this life was not enough. Mm -hmm. And she kind of writes her mother off. She gets really drunk and she kind of goes off the rails for a bit there, loses her job. And when she returns, to kind of reconcile with her mother or just come to terms with it, her mother's dead. When the art exhibition happens and is starting to be advertised, the reason she... She doesn't apply. She just goes in to express her anger is because the death of Derek and she's drunk, obviously going through this grieving period and she angrily sends this video to the overworld and she gets chosen. And when you get chosen, you don't really have a choice. So she gets ripped out of the underworld, basically displayed there. In the art exhibition, it's savage. There is a tree particularly there that Juliet sees and at first it looks like this beautiful thing but then as she looks closer it's a tree made out of human remains Mm. and some of these human remains are still alive you kind of get this journey into what the overworld really is she's being auctioned off because she's basically a a rose dying you know she like people want to buy her to watch her die romeo sees her and he basically for the first time in his 12 lifetimes he agrees to get married to whoever he his father chooses just so that he can have this Juliet. And so that's how she kind of gets captured and saved at the same time. For Romeo, it's this whole thing that when we spend time with him, there's a scene where he's in the bath just after he's been put into Derek's body. You see how the soul and the body isn't there yet because he's in the bath and all these hands start reaching out of the bath like like spider legs. And it's basically the fact that when you take somebody else's body, you take a bit of their soul. And so... It's, I think it becomes really, really uncomfortable living in another person's body. You see the struggle of him and how many people he's, they call it fleshes they've murdered. For his sister and his father, it's a different story. They, like, they start rotting. So their fingertips start rotting. and That's why they keep changing flesh so often. It's because the soul starts rejecting the body. Mm. Did you say that this, the difference between the overworld and the underworld, isn't, isn't it the, the privilege in the overworld buying the bodies from the people in the underworld that's how they're living longer because they're buying these young bodies from the people in the underworld i think it's it's kind of like not an even exchange they've really made the underworld impossible to afford so you're continuously trading and sacrificing for your family especially because the underworld is all about family and that one life. So a lot of younger people end up trading their bodies for a sum of money so their families can have a life. So is this something that occurs between both worlds? So even in the underworld, people can live in other people's bodies? In the underworld, there are people like the pig. They run really successful businesses. They don't necessarily reside in the overworld, but they're not necessarily an underworldly. You can definitely reside in the underworld, but a lot of people don't. 
in this case, the reason we kind of see just the overworld for some of these lives is because they're kind of like a royal family. Romeo's father invented this thing and he invented it because his wife committed suicide. He couldn't deal with that grief, so he refused to ever die and he refuses to let his children die. For them, it's a little bit of a different thing because they, they're kind of royalty and People would savagely kill them if they could. So they kind of, they live in a lot of fear. I like this idea of the fact that they think they're so free, but they're actually trapped in their own little box. And that's something that angers Romeo when Juliet discovers this. She's like, I've been searching my whole life for freedom and I realised I had it. Up here you don't. This is what you have. Does that answer the question? Sort of, not really. I'm just trying to figure out the world and I was just kind of confused as to whether it was set up in the synopsis that you sent us that it seemed like the privileged people that live in the overworld were essentially living forever because they were obtaining bodies from people who lived in the overworld to sort of keep existing longer and longer and longer so and that's why i thought romeo had taken derek's body because he was at the end of his and now he wanted another one but then you mentioned that Juliet's mother was in someone else's body and then I thought well isn't she in the underworld then it wasn't clear to me about the rules between the underworld and the overworld and it seemed like a bit confusing totally so I think like I probably set it up better in the 107 pages that I do in my my rambling the overworldlies are people of privilege and they can live in the overworld or underworld people don't prefer to live in the underworld, it's very dirty and contaminated. The couple of cases you see of more than one life in the underworld is quite rare. You hear it, it's like something like a black market, like with Juliet's mother, where she's kind of stolen somebody's life. It wasn't a permission, it wasn't an exchange. With the pig, what she does is she takes elite athletes, models, whoever she can afford, and she basically becomes them and then destroys their body. So that's her misuse of power. So that's something that's kind of flawed in her. But she kind of is like the underworld kingdom. She has a lot of power there because she owns a lot of resources. If, say, in this world, the overworld are the only people that can live in other people's bodies, but as you mentioned, Juliet's mother, you know, stole a body and then the overworld people know about this, and they want to retrieve her back, but Juliet sacrifices herself to save her mother from these people killing her. I feel like she just needs a a good reason to end up in that overworld that's not just her, you know, volunteering herself to go, or, well, well, she's kind of volunteering it in my scenario. But like, yeah, like a really good reason for her to be there. Totally, yeah. That she's trying to protect her mother, and that's why she becomes a prisoner. Yeah. Can I, can I make another suggestion? Yeah, of course. Just following up on what you've been saying, could Juliet's mother not have been, unbeknownst to Juliet, an overworld dweller? And she has, you know, acquired a new body and then for reasons which you'll have to examine, she gets cast out of the overworld mm-hmm. and ends up in the underworld. This is her secret that she's been keeping to herself. And then Juliet discovers that... Her own mother used to be an overworlder living in somebody else's body. And the other thing I was thinking was, for the sake of logic, could there be people who are coming from the overworld looking like scouts, looking for basketball players or looking for models? Scouts come into the underworld. They're looking for beautiful young people that they and they're terrifying. They're like the Gestapo, um, looking for beautiful people that they can take 
to the overworld mm. to sell off up there. It occurs to me that the people in the overworld have a horror of death, so I'm surprised that they would be interested in watching Juliet die. So I'm wondering if could perhaps one of these scouts have seen Juliet, they've captured her, but in the course of capturing her, they've injured her, mm. and so they take her up for auctioning but she's too badly injured and so she slowly deteriorates and dies. Yeah. Do any of those thoughts, Rosa? Yeah, I think both what you guys have said, I think they really, things worth exploring. I've had a lot of trouble trying to figure out the logic of this poison, like of her turning to gold. I really like the images of it and I like the kind of idea of it, but there is, I think, a bit of a logic gap there. Like, because I do explore a little bit of the scavengers, like Juliet sees it from afar, like how a body gets taken. A girl yeah. that's poisoned and like but but I haven't explored it further and the more like I explore this idea the more I feel like it's such a big world and I do wonder whether or not it would be more beneficial to develop it into a, a series but then again I've it's it's kind of a succinct story in itself for me that I've written and I feel like yeah I know you guys have given me a lot to think about so I, I appreciate that. I'm glad because just for the sake of logic and clarity I do think it makes more sense that the mother's secret is not that she has somehow acquired somebody else's body, but it's that she used to be an overworlder who acquired a body and then got cast out and is now living as an underworlder. And that's the secret which gets revealed, That and the fact that it's not her own body yeah. either. That, to me, makes more sense. It's, I can get my head yeah. around that. Also, then that gives you the opportunity for Romeo to obtain juliet for the purposes of payback against juliet's mother if they knew each other if if romeo and juliet's mother knew each other and he was responsible for casting her out or maybe she's done something to him that gets her cast out so he wants retribution against mm. her so he takes juliet but then he actually falls in love with juliet and then can't bring himself i think to creating those links those relationships I think is a great idea if you wanted to go in, go down that path. Yeah, that makes absolute sense to yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. strengthening that whole triangle. Yeah. yeah, I like those ideas. I like that. Like those links would definitely make it not just like a why why her thing. Mm. Like out of everyone in the world, why her? There has to be um, a yeah. reason that all these things need to be connected for it to to make some kind of logical reason to make us invested in these characters and this story because it essentially you know, those stories are about relationships and how the relationships get pulled apart yeah. and how you repair exactly. them. And, and you've got yeah. all those a range of emotions attached to it as well. Yeah, I like that. How Like the relationships and how they get pulled apart because that's kind of what happens with life and death. And I think by trying to avoid death, you're trying to avoid that disconnection. Yeah, I like I that. I would maybe have a think about that whole gold ticket label business because as you said before, you know, it's very poetic and it creates lovely imagery. But it does feel like it's maybe causing more problems than solutions for you. Uh -huh. If it's getting in the way, I wouldn't be afraid to ditch it. I don't think the audience would miss that no. as an element. I know you like it, and if you can find a way to make it work, but if it doesn't, you're not going to lose anything by ditching it. Yeah, I want to see if I read the script again and see what happens if I change a couple of those elements, take out the gold, but then add that link with the mother and the kind of, the fact that she kind of gets pulled out of her world rather than sorry i'm still forming all these things that you have said to me yeah, kind of yeah. clicking it in my head into the bigger yeah. picture but i like that suggestion of not being afraid to ditch the things like if there's something not working even though 
you getting further and further along in those drafts. Like it's okay to just go, actually, I know I've been dragging this thing along, but it just doesn't work. Just Look, you could keep it as a motif, you know, mm-hmm. an image, but not have it intrinsic to the storytelling. It could yeah. just be part of the yeah. world. It could even just signify Juliet's search for beauty in that horrible world, some way of her trying to, you know, hold on to something beautiful. Yeah, totally. Is there anything else that's bugging you that you want to talk about because we're pretty much approaching out of time? I don't, at this I don't point. think so. I think for me, the big problem is just going through and just clarifying everything and then seeing what is actually not working here. What is causing confusion? Like what is too much explaining and too much kind of like, oh, it doesn't, it doesn't feel real and authentic to the world. Once I've done that, I think I want to go through and try some of these suggestions and see how that changes the the core of the story. For me, the thing has always just been clarity and the character's relationship because for me, that at the core was the only thing that was missing. Like I'd read it and I'd go, meh, I don't know why you're together. Like, I don't know why you'd kill yourself for somebody else. Like, I just really wanted to explore that because for me, the interesting thing about Romeo and Juliet is they might be in love, but it's more of an in lust. How do you fall in love so quickly? without really knowing each other. And I feel like the reason they got away with it in Romeo and Juliet was because the characters are so young and naive in a way, and this idea of love. Unless you want to go Um, down like the soulmate kind of route, because it's all about, this story is all about love and the soul and all that kind of stuff that perhaps Juliet and Romeo, you know, are two halves of the same Mm. soul or something. I like that. I, I wonder how you would show that. That's a good challenge, I think, because that is exploring whether or not soulmates do exist. Do you believe in soulmates, Jenny? I don't necessarily believe that we have one soulmate. I've had pretty spiritual experiences throughout my life, so I'm quite spiritual. When I met my husband, I remember I had this moment where I met him and I didn't know him and I shook his hand and I got this all-knowing moment of we've met before we're going to be something quite significant to each other and at that stage I didn't know whether it'd be something creative or a friendship or whatnot so I guess I I kind of I guess I do believe in soul connection but I don't think we have just one soulmate the reason that I'm asking is because when you write this script no matter what you write whether it's horror or science fiction or drama it's you on the page and if you don't believe in soulmates then it's going to be much more difficult for you to write something like that it might not be authentic if you do believe in it go for it if you don't you can do it but it might be it might come up yeah well I might give it a go look at script writing as like you're creating an argument for something this is an opportunity to say for people who are on the fence about whether they believe in soulmates or not this story will tell you either they do exist or this is the argument for they don't exist yeah I think that will definitely help me when coming to write some of those moments especially even shifting it from Romeo because he might not believe in soulmates, but she might. That's a great opportunity to present both sides of the argument, one who believes and one who doesn't. So, If you're writing a romantic comedy, then of course soulmates exist. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not a romantic comedy. It's not. It's tragic. (laughs) (laughs) We might have to uh, leave it there. I think that's all we have time for in today's episode. So uh, please thank our guest writer, Jenny Bezeidenhut. Thank you. Good luck with the rewrites. Uh, As always, everything discussed in today's 10 pages remains your own intellectual property and you reserve the right to use as much or as little of it as you like. To any writers, producers, directors or investors listening out there, 
who may be interested in collaborating with you, how might they be able to reach you, Jenny? Look me up online under Jenny Batoli, or you can check out our website, which is called Panopticon Collective. We have a lot of our produced stuff on there. You can email us through there. To those listeners out there, if you have a project that needs development, please email your logline, a brief synopsis, and your first 10 pages to 10 pages. That's the number 10, not the word. 10pagespodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and keep on writing. Thanks, Jenny. Bye.